This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We've all dreamt of being able to fly. For some, that dream is about soaring through the sky in aircrafts. For others, nothing short of experiencing true flight will do. While we can't fly like birds yet, innovations in technology have allowed people to get pretty close. These days, you can throw on a wingsuit, which was designed to increase the surface area of the body and provides a significant increase in lift. In 2016, a man in the U.S. set a world record when he flew through the sky in a wingsuit for nearly eight and a half minutes. He covered a horizontal distance of almost 20 miles and reached speeds of 200 miles per hour before using a parachute to land. While wingsuits do let you fly like an eagle, one of the major limitations is that you still need something to get you up to the altitude needed for a safe jump. If you want to take off from the ground like Superman, though, you'll need a bit more power to get your lift. Thanks to British inventor Richard Browning, that's no longer a problem. Often called the real-life Iron Man by the media, Browning's passion for personal flight led him to create a fully operational jet-powered suit. The suit, which reportedly can fly up to an altitude of around 12,000 feet using five mini-jet engines strapped to your body, is now for sale to the public. For just under half a million dollars, you too can take to the clouds in your very own jet suit. But if you don't have room on the credit card for the $440,000 price tag, perhaps you can just use a bunch of balloons. That's the idea Larry Walters had when he was just 13 years old. It was in the mid-1950s when he visited an Army-Navy surplus store and saw a weather balloon for the first time. The balloon immediately struck a chord with the teenager. He had dreamt of flying since he could remember, and the balloon in the store planted a seed that would stay with him into adulthood. When he was old enough, Larry joined the Air Force with plans to be a pilot. Unfortunately though, his eyesight did not meet the requirements to fly, so he spent his time in the armed services in other areas. Larry left the Air Force after serving in Vietnam and returned to his home state of California. As an airman, he'd spent years watching others live out his dream of flying through the sky. He'd been surrounded by airplanes, but he knew that he was never going to pilot one. Settling on a career closer to the ground, Larry Walters decided to hit the road and became a truck driver. When he wasn't hauling goods, he was at home in LA, hanging out in the backyard. To Larry, nothing was more relaxing than lounging in his lawn chair, watching the planes fly overhead. He could spend hours sitting outside in that chair, looking up at the sky, thinking about life. Often, his thoughts would turn to his days in the Air Force and the disappointment he felt about not being able to fly. One day though, as he sat out back, chilling in his lawn chair, Larry Walters remembered something he hadn't thought about in a while. The weather balloon in the surplus store he had seen as a kid. It sparked an idea that inspired him to build Inspiration One an airship like no other. 
At 33 years old, Larry Walters had made up his mind that he was going to fly. To do that, he decided to use weather balloons. 43 of them, actually. He calculated that when filled with helium, each balloon could lift about 15 pounds, more than enough to cover his weight along with the extra weight of the craft. He just needed to figure out what the craft would be. Larry considered using a wicker basket, or a gondola, like those used for hot air balloons. But as he sat in his comfortable lawn chair pondering the safest options, the solution became obvious. The daredevil decided he would go airborne while remaining seated in his super comfortable lawn chair. On the morning of July 2nd, 1982, Larry attached 43 helium-filled weather balloons to his lawn chair. Each balloon had a diameter of 7 feet, and they were stacked in two giant tiers above him. To maintain stability in the strong winds, he attached 35 one-gallon jugs of water to the sides of the chair. Larry grabbed a camera, a CB radio, and a pellet gun before strapping a parachute to his back and sitting in the chair. The plan was to slowly ascend to around 100 feet while remaining tethered to a jeep. He would remain there for about an hour to make sure everything was working before taking off. Larry decided he would notify the FAA and local airports about 30 minutes before launch that a lawn chair with balloons attached would be making a flyby soon. He would enjoy a little flight time before using the Pelican to shoot specific balloons when he was ready to come down. So, none of that plan actually worked out. Not long after Larry sat down in his lawn chair and floated up to 100 feet to conduct his pre-launch safety checks, the first of several mishaps occurred. The tether that was supposed to keep him secured to the earth broke almost right away. The tether unexpectedly breaking was one thing, but it was the speed at which he took off that surprised everyone. In the video that was being recorded by his ground crew, it appears that Larry's chair is catapulted into the sky. It was so quick that Larry's glasses were thrown from the chair. Thankfully, the well-prepared aviator brought along another pair. According to the altimeter around Larry's neck, he was rising about a thousand feet every minute. Once he caught his bearing, he radioed his friends on the ground to let them know that he was okay and that he was enjoying the ride. You copy, over. I copy. Are you sure you're okay? There's planes up there. We can hear them. Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm going through a thin fog layer. Over. He also asked them if they wouldn't mind contacting authorities, as he was pretty sure he was about to fly over one of the world's busiest airports, LAX. But before his friends could notify airport officials, pilots from a Delta Airlines and a TWA flight reported a person drifting by at thousands of feet up in what appeared to be a lawn chair. I'm guessing the next few hours were a bit rough for those commercial airline pilots until their story was proven true. Larry's flight test had carried him up to a nausea-inducing 16,000 feet. To put that in perspective, the maximum altitude for most single-engine planes is around 13,500 feet. Also, at 16,000 feet, it's really cold. After floating around long enough to start getting numb, 
Larry decided it was about time to come down. He used the pellet gun to shoot out some of the balloons, and then proceeded to drop the pellet gun, hopefully missing the single-engine planes below. Incredibly, it turned out that the remaining balloons were just enough to start the long descent back to solid ground. But as Larry's altimeter slowly clicked down to zero, he started to wonder just how solid the ground was going to be. The last mishap, unfortunately, had nothing to do with the ground, and more to do with power cables. My soul were rooftops and power lines. I thought to myself, my, my God, this is it. You know, please God, you know, don't let me get fried. As the balloon airship was about to land, the remains of the broken tether wrapped around a power line. The weight of the chair, which was also carrying almost 700 pounds of water for balance, dragged the power line down, causing a blackout in Long Beach, California. Larry, still comfortably seated in his lawn chair, was dangling only a few feet above the ground. Without so much as a headache, Larry Walters hopped down and walked away from the dramatic scene behind him. Of course, he only got about 10 feet before Long Beach police officers took him into custody. Funny enough, though, authorities were not 100% sure what they were charging him with. A spokesperson said at the time, quote, We know he broke some part of the Federal Aviation Act, and as soon as we decide which part it is, some type of charge will be filed. If he had a pilot's license, we'd suspend that, but he doesn't. When asked by awaiting reporters why he chose a lawn chair, he said, quote, A man can't just sit around. I had this dream for 20 years, and if I hadn't done it, I would have ended up in the funny farm. I didn't think that by fulfilling my goal in life, my dream, that would create such a stir and make people laugh. But not everyone was laughing. Larry was charged with operating an uncertified aircraft. But because his unique airship didn't fall under any recognized class of aircraft, the charge was eventually dropped. For flying through restricted airspace and for not communicating with air traffic control, he was fined $4,000. Even that was lower to $1,500 after it was appealed. Not surprisingly, the event made headlines around the world, and within weeks, Lawn Chair Larry, as they were calling him, was making the rounds on the media circuit. Welcome, Larry Walters. What kind of planning goes into this? Because when you say you hook balloons to a lawn okay. chair, it doesn't sound, you know, like like Neil Armstrong probably wouldn't be involved there. Uh, Believe me, I knew what I was doing. When Larry Walters decided to build Inspiration One and finally fulfill his dream of flying, he inspired many others to think differently about what they can do with something as simple as a few weather balloons. Larry wanted others to feel inspired to pursue their dreams, and he spent time as a motivational speaker. He wasn't after fame or fortune when he technically achieved a world record for altitude reached using a cluster of balloons. It wasn't recorded because there was nothing official at all about the flight. In 1993, Larry Walters received the unflattering title of At-Risk Survivor by the satirical Darwin Award publication. However, as proof that his accomplishment highlighted human ingenuity, until 2014, the original lawn chair was on exhibit at the San Diego Air and Space Museum.
My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to this episode of True. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Almost 30 years after Larry Walters attracted international attention with his unique approach to ballooning, another unusual floating object, or UFO, was spotted over the state of Colorado. Curiously, the object actually was in the shape of a flying saucer, right down to its shiny foil-like exterior. Helicopters with two news organizations tracked the object while millions of people watched it unfold live on television. The news helicopters were joined by the Colorado National Guard, who deployed a couple of their helicopters to track the strange object as well. On the ground, police units followed in hot pursuit. The group had been following the Silver Airship from Fort Collins south toward Denver. At just after 1.30 p.m., two hours after it was first reported, the craft touched down in a field about 12 miles from the Denver International Airport. When authorities converged on it and tried to find a way inside, the saucer started to deflate. They were frantically looking for something, and it wasn't little green aliens. What they were desperately trying to find inside the flying saucer was a six-year-old boy. Richard and Mayumi Hini met while attending acting school in Hollywood, California. Mayumi had emigrated to the U.S. from Japan, hoping to be an actress. Despite having very different personalities, Richard being easily excitable, while Mayumi was quiet and reserved, they started dating, and in 1997, the couple got married. Over the following years, their family had grown to include three boys. When it became clear that their acting careers were going nowhere, the couple tried their hand at video production. From 2006 to 2007, they operated their own business, but ultimately decided to leave LA and set up shop in Fort Collins, Colorado. By all accounts, Richard Heaney was pretty handy and began working in construction once they got settled in Fort Collins. Whenever he was home, neighbors said he always seemed to be working on a project with his boys. But the handyman's real passion was chasing some of the most destructive weather Mother Nature could conjure. His love of storm chasing began at an early age when a roof was ripped off the building he was in. As he got older, he started a team of researchers dedicated to investigating extreme weather events. But with no background in meteorology, or any of the sciences for that matter, the high school graduate was more like a reality show adrenaline junkie than a weather scientist. In 2006, Richard claimed to have flown around Hurricane Wilma and reportedly drove a motorcycle directly into a tornado. As his boys got older, they started joining him on many of his storm-chasing adventures. The family trips occasionally deviated from chasing storms to hunting UFOs and fishing. 
When they were not out trying to catch fish and E.T., the Heenies did their best to find acting work. They appeared on not one, but two episodes of ABC's Wife Swap, where families switch households for a couple of weeks to experience different social and cultural backgrounds. Fans of the show love the Heenies episode so much, they voted them back for the 100th episode celebration. Always the self-promoter, during the show, Richard explained that he was building a squadron of flying saucers and would be launching them into weather events all over the globe. He went on to say that all of humanity comes from aliens. He was sure about this because he said that he had once passed out in a fast food restaurant and, while unconscious, heard aliens speaking to him. Richard tried to leverage the family's reality show momentum by pitching his own reality show idea. He proposed a documentary-style series that explored the mysteries of science. However, with a penchant for the fringe, and more of a science fiction background than anything else, one by one, the networks passed. He may not have landed his own TV show, but Richard Heaney was determined to make his flying saucer a reality. He envisioned a time when, quote, people can pull out of the garage and hover above traffic. He was also quoted describing his version of the flux capacitor. The high-voltage timer, as he called it, would allow the vehicle to move by emitting one million volts of electricity in predetermined intervals. Heaney quickly went to work creating the prototype that he hoped would change the world forever. Using state-of-the-art materials such as plastic tarps, wood, cardboard, string, and duct tape. The frame was made using lightweight aluminum piping, and the exterior was covered with aluminum foil. It had a wooden compartment underneath that housed the power unit. When filled with helium gas, the prototype inflated to an impressive 20 feet wide and 5 feet high. Neighbors commented that it looked like a flying saucer that you would see in a classic black-and-white sci-fi movie. Richard told people that it was intended to just hover about 20 feet above the ground and was not built to carry passengers. With 1,000 cubic feet of helium keeping it afloat, the UFO-shaped balloon could only carry about 60 pounds anyway. So maybe it wasn't enough to lift an adult. But what about a child? It was Thursday morning, October 15th, 2009. All three Heaney boys were home from school on the day Richard decided to test his creation. With the whole family in the backyard, they started the countdown. The honor of pulling the cord went to Richard, and when the countdown reached zero, the balloon began rising slowly. It was an exciting moment, but an oversight during the prep phase turned the joyous occasion into a national nightmare. The balloon was supposed to be tethered to the ground, but that part of the setup, it seems, went overlooked. So, when the family patriarch released the balloon, the saucer-shaped airship just floated away. Clearly upset by the mishap as they all watched helplessly as the balloon took to the sky, anger would turn to panic just a minute later. That's when one of the boys walked up to his parents and informed them that six-year-old Falcon, their youngest, was the one who untied the tether. He went on informing them both that after Falcon untied the rope, he climbed into the balloon. According to his brother, six-year-old Falcon was now floating away inside the flying saucer. Like any parent, hearing the news that your youngest is ascending closer and closer to space inside a homemade flying saucer balloon 
would be enough to cause a smidge of panic. Even remembering the number to 911 might be impossible when faced with that situation. You know, when you're likely faced with that situation. Incredibly though, Richard and Naomi kept their calm, just enough to contact the news media, but only ones with helicopters. Still trying to keep their sanity as Falcon drifted further out of sight, they thought it prudent to give the Federal Aviation Administration a quick call to let them know about the situation. Finally, a full 20 minutes after the balloon was released, the Heenies called 911. The emergency call came in at 11.22 a.m., and it was Mayomi on the line first. She told the 911 operator that her boy was being taken inside a flying saucer before passing the phone to Richard. He went on to explain to the understandably confused operator that his son had no experience operating the vehicle. 911, what's the address of your emergency? Hi, this is Fort Collins for the transfer. Uh, this woman and her husband stating that their six-year-old son, they had an experimental flying saucer that they built. Mm -hmm. They believe that um, their six-year-old son is in it and flying around. They left on him 20 minutes ago. When asked if there was any way to track the craft, he said it was possible, if they happened to have a way to detect the type of electricity it emits. After a brief rundown of some additional, seemingly unhelpful technical details of the ship's capabilities, Richard just left the conversation, confusing the operator even more. Sir? Hello? Okay. And my caller is completely gone. I don't know if he is on another line. When police arrived at the Heaney household, they were told that the place had been searched by the family with no sign of Falcon. Just to be sure, the officers on scene performed their own search of the house and surrounding area. They swept the premises twice before confirming that the boy appeared to be missing. When asked repeatedly to go over the events, the family's story stayed the same. Authorities later reported that the wannabe reality TV stars were, quote, beside themselves with worry. But thanks to Richard and Naomi's quick thinking, the news outlets they had called as soon as it happened had almost a 30-minute head start on the authorities to find the balloon, presumably with Falcon still riding along inside. Two helicopters were dispatched within minutes of being tipped off. They quickly located the curious flying object headed south toward Denver and continued to track it for two hours. In the skies above Denver, Colorado, where one of the strangest things in the history of my television career is going down, and if you're sitting in your living room watching it, I'm sure you are just as bewildered and befuddled as all of the rest of us. Somehow the six-year-old ends up going through the door in the thing, and he's in there, according to authorities. I mean, I, don't, I can't confirm that, but authorities tell us he is. His father says he's in there. As millions of people watched it live on TV, authorities were trying to figure out ways to get Falcon safely on the ground. The ideas tossed around included lowering an air rescue specialist onto the flying saucer to retrieve Balloon Boy, the name media had dubbed Falcon. Another idea was for the Colorado National Guard to drop weights on the balloon in order to slowly bring it down. But the saucer-shaped airship had reached a height of 7,000 feet and was traveling at almost 30 miles an hour. It would have been a challenge to execute those plans on a stationary target, let alone under those extreme conditions. Instead, the National Guard sent out two helicopters to assist in the growing rescue effort. At 1.35 p.m., 
After drifting over 60 miles from where it lifted off, the balloon made a soft landing in a field just miles from the Denver International Airport. Police and emergency vehicles who had been following closely on the roads below raced to the scene. When they arrived just moments later, they immediately deflated the balloon, making sure it stayed put on the ground. Officers then started looking for Falcon. Due east by about 15, 20 miles of DIA, but they've all converged, and at this point, I'm going to say that this kid is going to be okay. It's been a safe landing, if you can say there was a safe landing for a helium-filled balloon, but it looks like the winds are really what worked in the favor of this balloon. It only took them a few seconds to realize that the six-year-old was not inside. Hope seemed lost when a sheriff's deputy reported seeing something fall from the balloon as it traveled along its course. Search parties were sent out to cover the balloon's path, but turned up nothing. As the hours passed, millions of people waited with a sense of dread for news about Balloon Boy's fate. The update everyone wanted to know came at around 4.15 that afternoon, when news outlets started to report that Falcon had been found safe. Five hours after the ordeal had begun, the boy, whose image had been plastered on every television across the country, walked nonchalantly into the family living room. He told everyone that he was upset with his dad for yelling at him earlier, and decided to hide. Apparently, no one had bothered to check the attic, assuming the boy was too small to get up there. He said that he played with his toys and took a nap, but after five hours, he got bored and came down. A simple and understandable answer coming from a child, and more importantly, all that mattered was that he was alive and safe. The sheriff later offered his opinion, saying that, quote, it's not uncommon for children to seek cover when they realize that they're the subject of a massive search. They hide because they think they're in trouble. To the police, there was no reason not to believe the Heenies. Who could make this stuff up anyway? The publicity the family received was enormous. Every major news organization was desperate for an interview, and Richard was more than happy to accommodate. Just hours after Falcon was discovered alive and well, the family was in front of cameras to talk about their harrowing experience. But when Falcon was asked why he hadn't come out of his hiding place when he heard people looking for him, things got very awkward. Did he hear anything? Did he hear you screaming out, Falcon, Falcon? Uh, he's, he's asking Falcon, did you hear us calling your name at any time? Mm -hmm. You did? You did? Why didn't you come out? Um, you guys said that um, we did this for the show. The unexpected response did not go unnoticed. Uh, what, what did he mean, we did this for the show? Um, I have no idea. Unable to provide an explanation, Richard became agitated and expressed his frustration, clearly trying his best to avoid answering the question. However, the more he struggled to clarify his son's comment, the more suspicious it started to appear. Falcon, they want to know, um, they want to know why you were in the attic, okay, for so long, and why 
you uh, say, say it again. Why, why he said, at least he's, he said, we did this for the show in explaining why he didn't come out of the attic. Um, yeah, let me uh, interrupt this real quick because I think I can see the direction you guys are hedging on this because earlier uh, you had asked the police officers the questions. Uh, the media out front, we weren't even going to do this interview. Um, and I'm kind of appalled after all of the um, feelings that I went through up and down that you guys are trying to suggest something else. Okay. I'm really appalled because uh, they said out in front that this would be the end and I wouldn't have to be bothered for the rest of the week with any uh, shows or anything. So we said, okay, fine, we'll do this. So I'm kind of appalled that you guys would say something like that. Uh, you know, it's... No, no, I, I, we, we're, we're not asking anything un unusual. Uh, you were asked earlier about if this was a publicity stunt. You say it wasn't. The police say it wasn't. The rescue operation say it wasn't. The only thing I just wanted to clarify why Falcon had said earlier, we did this for the show, and I, I, I just wanted to clarify, I didn't understand what he was referring to. Richard eventually suggested that Falcon was most likely referring to all the media attention when he said it was for the show. But the damage had been done. Authorities, who had only hours earlier concluded that the Heenies were just victims of unfortunate circumstances, now were also asking what the six-year-old meant. During two interviews the following day, Falcon was asked again about the comment he made the day before. Both times, he said he was going to vomit and was taken off camera by his father, adding further suspicion. Meanwhile, investigators were busy trying to figure out if the flying saucer balloon could even carry a child of Falcon's size. They had taken Richard at his word when he said that it could. However, according to the physics professor they contacted, that was mathematically impossible. Questions also arose when authorities took a good look at the video the family had recorded during the balloon launch. From the way it tilted to the speed at which it floated into the sky, it was difficult to believe there was a 37-pound child inside. This story has publicity stunt written all over it. You could never really get a fix on how big the thing was no. when it was flying around there. And feet. When it gets to the ground like that, you got to wonder if it had enough lift to, to hold a, a six-year-old boy. But, you know, who knows? On October 18, 2009, three days after the incident, officials announced that they had enough evidence to believe that the event was a publicity stunt. In an effort to promote themselves as reality TV stars, Police said that the couple involved all three children, telling them to lie to the media and to investigators. Authorities discovered that, at the time of the hoax, the producers of the show Wife Swap had been working with the family on developing their own reality show. Not long after the hoax, though, the network ended the relationship. A few weeks after the police started their investigation, the Heenies were officially charged. Richard Heaney pleaded guilty to one felony count of attempting to influence a public servant. Mayumi Heaney was charged with one count of false reporting to authorities. She pleaded guilty as well. Two days before Christmas that same year, the Heenies were sentenced. Richard received a three-month jail term as well as 100 hours of community service. 
The judge also ordered him to formally apologize to the various agencies that joined the search for Falcon. Mayumi was jailed for three weeks and handed community service. They were prohibited from making any money off the story for an undisclosed period and ordered to pay almost $40,000 in damages. Considering the total amount spent on the search and rescue operation was estimated to be around $2 million, they probably got off easy. So just remember, next time you're out for a walk, don't forget to look up. You never quite know what's happening in the skies above you. True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched by Haley Gray and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hope of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. As always, a huge thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.